coming to you from my apartment that doubles as a podcast recording studio. This is What Should I Do With My Life with Steph Horowitz. I'm Steph Horowitz. Thanks for joining me. This podcast is about how none of us know what we're doing. None of us have it figured out. No matter if you seem like you have it all together, you really don't, so be honest. We're going to talk about real stories from real people, their experiences, how they're figuring it out. From career pivots to being in the same industry for 40 years, we're going to hash this thing out so we can all find more meaning and passion in our work and day-to-days. Hi, everyone. Before we start, I want to let you know that in this episode, we talk about child sexual abuse, so listener discretion is advised. I'm honored to introduce you today to the amazing Amy Mullins. Amy is a teacher, a healer, a CEO, a giver, a leader. She has dedicated her life's work to empowering and supporting children in various ways, as a life coach through her work at Detroit Boxing Gym, and oh so much more, which you will find out today. In October, Amy created and launched A Courageous Voice, or ACV, whose mission is to prevent and protect children from child sexual abuse using evidence-based educational tools to raise awareness and empower families to stop the violence. In today's episode, Amy shares about how being of service to others has been a huge element in her healing journey, talks about what it was like to take something so painful and not spoken about and turn that into her life's work, and talks about how everything changed when she realized her voice matters. A few things have actually changed since Amy and I recorded this episode. Amy left her day job and is now working on ACV full-time, which is very exciting. Another important update is that ACV, which was once focused on supporting adult survivors, has had to shift its focus more toward children because there really aren't any funds available that are supporting adult survivors today, unfortunately. ACV is still working with survivors, but implementing a curriculum with youth programs and schools to raise awareness and educate children and families. Please go to acourageousvoice.org for more details, how you can get involved and support, and to donate. Here's Amy. Hello. Hi, Stephanie. How are you? Oh, you're fancy, (laughs) Amy. You're throwing me off. (laughs) Tell me when you're ready and we're just gonna do it. Ready, Freddie. Let's do this. Ready, Freddie. We're ready. So Amy Mullins, welcome to What Should I Do With My Life? Thank you for joining me today. Yeah. Hi, Stephanie. It's great to be here. So happy to have you on the show. We connected because of a dear friend, Beth Cone Converse, who was on the show. Thanks, Beth. Um, I would love to just dive in. In one sentence, what do you do? What do I do? Um, I like to think of myself as someone who shows up to empower survivors and really bring awareness um, to stop the violence of uh, child sexual abuse. That's what I do. I get to show up every day. It's um, a huge blessing and an honor to be able to do it as a survivor myself. It's such, such important work. So yeah, first of all, thank, really, you. thank you for being here and for sharing your story and just to take a step back and hear more about your journey, where you grew up a bit about your background. Yeah, sure. So I'm from the mountains of North Carolina. So um, really close to Tennessee, uh, the Smoky Mountains actually, and grew up in a really small town where everybody knows everybody. I think they still do in, in large part if you're still a local there. Kind of raised with that Southern culture of typically getting married as soon as you get out of high school and having kids and, and that whole thing. And definitely came from a religious background of um, Southern Baptist Christianity. That was heavily embedded in me as well. Um, and then there's a lot of beautiful things you know, about Southern culture, the food is fabulous, super fattening. It's the heart uh, (laughs) of, of Southern culture. Who doesn't love gravy and biscuits, you know? So there's that part of it. Family. I have two huge sides on my dad's side and my mom's side, very loving, very giving. That was, uh, also very, um, deeply embedded in how I was raised both grandparents, uh, you know, a huge part of my life. And then there's the other side of, of the Southern culture that really pulls in, um, you know, things that happen 
behind closed doors are left behind closed doors. You don't talk about it. There's a loyalty that lies, which in part of that is very beautiful. And then the other part of that can be um, very damaging. You know, that if you see abuse going on, you know, people are hush hush. You don't talk about it. You mind your own business that kind of stuff. So there's two sides, I think, to all cultures, uh, if you really, you know, want to see it that way, but grew up very confined as far as the outside world. You know, there was very little diversity growing up. I went to an all white school, you know, you stayed within your own race, if you will, you know, it was looked down upon if you stepped outside of that from a religious perspective as, as well, you know, you had to, um, believe a certain type of way. Um, and there was a lot of beauty, you know, being raised in the church, uh, the family that you have there, um, quite a bit of support usually. So, but then there's the opposite side as well. A lot of hellfire and damnation uh, I had to grow up with too. I wonder if growing up, you could identify all those different elements that kind of made up that experience. Cause on the one mm-hmm. hand, now you can say these parts of it were beautiful. There was like, mm-hmm. I don't know if it had to do with faith. There's some kind of wholesomeness mixing with everything else you were talking about. And of course, this whole idea of feeling confined, which is obviously not a good feeling that anyone should yeah. have that you faced for a long time. So yeah. would you like to share a bit about your story? Absolutely. My late, my remembrance of what happened, the, the sexual abuse that happened when I was a kid in my mind happened around 12. Um, something tells me that it was going on a little sooner than that, but I can't pinpoint that a lot of the stuff is still blocked out. Um, but it, um, it was a family member and that family member, very, very close. Um, I would say that 90% of child sexual abuse um, victims, it is with a father, an uncle, or a grandfather, or a family member, or somebody that the family knows. That is a staggering statistic. So only 4% that we know of, um, it would be random, happen from a complete stranger. So for me, it was a family member and, you know, there were just times where all I had was the mountains and that would be my safe space to go to. And I didn't have to worry. I felt safer with snakes and bugs and, you know, carnivore animals, (laughs) you know, I felt safer out in the woods than I did, you know, in my own home. And, and it was just, um, it was a horrible experience but I would not be who I am today if that hadn't have happened, you know, honestly. So when I did tell my mom, finally, um, I had uh, been walking out with a very, very, probably my best friend from grade school. And I remember her telling me we were walking down a gravel road. And I remember her saying, Amy, you have to tell somebody about this. She was the first person that I had told. And then I had told a cousin Um, and she said the same thing. You, you gotta go tell your mom. And when I told my mom, you know, I'm so grateful Stephanie, that she didn't hesitate, go get your stuff, you know, go wake your brother up. We're getting out of here immediately. And then we went to my grandmother's house, you know, um, and then my whole life fell apart. The aftermath of telling was hell. Um, living in a small town, everybody knows everything, embarrassment to, you know, shame and guilt. And I'm, I remember sitting on the hearth or the, the fireplace there and just, you know, watching the buzz of activity when my mom told her side of the family and they came around her and they were supporting her because she was distraught, obviously. And I remember sitting on the fireplace going, what in the hell is happening here? okay. So it happened. Um, you know, okay. I didn't realize I was still a kid. I was 14 when I finally told ninth grade, you know, going into the ninth grade summer of that, I think. And that's right when a child's identity starts to form. So this was forming my identity, telling me this is who I was, you know, we were kind of pushed out of the church. Um, this person was brought in the church and arms around him. 
And, you know, the church that we had always grown up in, you know, they kind of, they kind of pushed us out and we ended up moving out of that small town into the city, which is still compared to Detroit is still very, very tiny. I want to say it got easier, but it didn't. I became depressed, um, heavy, heavy suicidal thoughts. I had pills in my hand at one time, ready to take them. Uh, you know, my mom and I's relationship became super, just a lot of anger. I didn't want to go to school. I went from being an AB student on a roll my whole life to failing. My mom didn't know what to do with me. Um, I had become promiscuous, uh, started smoking pots and just doing just whatever I could do to escape. And that's very common for CSA survivors as well. And the male um, relationships that I had started to have were very dysfunctional, abusive, because that's how I saw myself as this is what I deserve, you know, and as a child of sexual abuse, you, um, you go through a lot of fight, flight, and freeze and a lot of fawning. And if people don't know what that is, uh, I stayed in fawn most of the time, which is that, what do I need to do to just get through this? I just need to please and, and do it and get it over with um, so that I can go on about my business and not have to be in this space anymore. So you become very agreeable and that's what fawning is. And so I found myself doing that for many, many years after all of that happened. And that was into, let's see, I had my son when I was 25, had been married for about a year I found out I was pregnant. And that was the first time. I had real joy. Sorry, I'm going to get emotional. Um, and having kids just changes you. I became super protective and I swore that I would never allow anybody to ever hurt them the way I had been hurt. And so I made a lot of decisions based on fear because I was still living in fear. Such a difficult story. Yeah. And what's so incredible and inspiring is taking this kind of story and this kind of pain and turning it into something that's helping, saving, inspiring, yes. creating community for mm -hmm. so, so many people. Yes. A courageous voice, which we're going to get into mm -hmm. shortly, and everyone's going to hear us say ACV, ACV, yes. ACV. Um, I'm curious a bit about what happened between when you told your mom and family mm -hmm. and starting a courageous voice, because right now your life's work is essentially working with survivors of child yes. sexual abuse. I'm curious about your healing journey service and helping others is such a big part of who you are in your life. And you were a life coach working at downtown boxing gym in Detroit, yes. a teacher student. I mean, you're always working with people. So when did that start and how did that affect your healing journey? Uh, I think it started when I was 19 and I started working with um, an organization in, in my hometown that worked with um, 10 kids that were um, mentally and physically challenged. And these babies became the loves of my life. And that was so healing for me as well. And to know that, you know, they were giving to me as much as I was giving to them. And it started there. And then I had my own children and for some reason, I don't know how, but children always ended up at my house, in my backyard, in my house, wherever. And so I would always, um, it was just natural. You know, I've always wanted to be a teacher. I just didn't, I thought it was going to be in a school, um, but that's not the kind of teacher that I became. Um, and children, in my opinion, um, are, I, are our best teachers. We can learn so, so much from them. I think as adults, we get so stuck in the past or the future and we forget to be in the present 
and kids keep us present, you know, and are we taking time to sit down and play with them? You know, they learn best through play. So do adults actually. And so they just became, you know, my ultimate teachers and watching their innocence and just feeling, you know, that love and that joy. And that kept my heart open. You know, it was the adults that I came around where my heart would start to close off or I would, but that with kids, I could be that free spirit, if that makes sense. So, and I did that most of my life, you know, working with kids here and there. And then I started working for a nonprofit. It was when I hit my forties is when my, when the life coaching really began, I, after my ex-husband had had a stroke, he was uh, given like a 1% chance of survival. And they said, you know, he's not going to make it. And if he does, he's going to be in a vegetative state. And I knew in my soul that he would live. I just had that faith and that belief. And two weeks prior to that, my son, who was 14 at the time, had been in the hospital as well and diagnosed with type one diabetes. So there was all of this going on, you know, just within the month of October. Uh, and we had had a pet that had passed away three days before my son went into the hospital. He had, you know, I had to take him to the vet. It was just a, you know, a really hard time. So after all that had happened about six months, I was so broken. And I just remember looking up and saying, God, I cannot take one more traumatic event in my life. I I can't do this. You you need, you got to help me. And, uh, sure enough. Sure enough, there was just something that clicked inside of me. And I say that earth angels come to you right when you need them. You know, they're everywhere. Uh, Really, really grateful for that Um, because I came upon a a school. It was a massage school. Irene's Myomassology Institute in Southfield, and it's a holistic massage school. And at this school, I learned about energy healing and I learned about all these different modalities of healing, um, that are, you know, that work super, super well, you know, with trauma victims. And I don't know that, um, when Irene did this, that she was, maybe she thought about trauma victims or, or, or not, I don't know, but her, her vision changed my life, you know, going to that school and every day I got to go and be there It was a year program and I I went like seven days a week and I was able to go in there every day and just the energy in that place was so calming and I I didn't have to worry. I could let my guard down. I'd never had that in my life, never. And a lady came in, her name uh, was Mary Morrissey, had her in as a keynote speaker and I was sitting in the audience and I remember her talking and I said, oh my God, do you ever feel like you're, you're sitting there and the light shines on you. Like it's coming down from him and you're like, this is talking to me. And that's how I felt. And what she talked about was being in choice and possibility. She talked about, um, coming out of the past and this is what's available to you. You just have to choose it. I didn't know how to choose it, you know, but listening to her. And then she offered an opportunity to fly out to LA And have an entire weekend conference with her for free. I was like, I just need a plane ticket. How do I get a plane ticket? I'm a mom of two and I'm a single mom by then. Right. So I flew out, spent a whole weekend with this lady and met other people that were life coaches or wanted to become a life coach. I knew nothing about coaching, but I did know that people came to me all the time for advice or about their kids or whatever. So I knew I had this natural thing happening, you know, and I wanted to explore it. And the things that she said really opened me up to, you know, what, what could I do with this? How could I take my past and make it work for me instead of against me? And that happened. I think I was 40 years old. So 11, 11 years ago, uh, And my life has changed ever since I went uh, from that to working with um, kids that were in uh, abuse and neglect cases uh, with a nonprofit. And a lot of, um, a lot of those cases are horrid and horrific. And a lot of kids that had been sexually abused uh, as well. 
And so I was able to, to work with them and teach them about meditation and just take them for walks. And we would get out on a basketball court and shoot hoops and just talk. And I would listen, you know, just a safe place for them to be. And then I found out about the downtown boxing gym when they closed our program at the other nonprofit. And there I was able uh, to really bond with uh, these kids and came to love them like they were my own as I did the other, the other kids at the all boys home. And I began to teach things like social emotional learning and that about self-awareness and um, how to love who you are. You know, it's okay to not know what you want to do. You know, our parents and all these adults expect us to know who we are and what we're supposed to do with our life at age 18 I didn't find out who I was or what I wanted to do until I was around 40, you know? So it's okay. That's really, that's really good. People, yeah. Yeah. people need to hear that. Yeah. It's okay. And really about discovering you first. Right. And then we talked about social awareness and I just had this love and passion, you know, to help kids. And then all of a sudden I would be uh, in a child's home and working with their parents in some, some way, either just listening, being a sounding board for them. And it was such profound work. And I'm still friends with so many of these families. I actually worked at the downtown boxing Jimmy program yesterday. So I still work with the high schoolers there. They still call me and I, I wouldn't have it any other way. You know, people are going through stuff everywhere all the time. And we never know what somebody's going through. So try to stay out of that judgment, um, judgment zone and just kind of show up and say, you know, how can I be of service? What can I do to help you? And still making sure I fill my cup, you know, at the same time. Yeah. It's so clear that you have such a big heart and how much you want to give and help others. What traits or special qualities you think you have that make people feel like they can open up to you, that people trust you, feel vulnerable around you, feel supported by you? Yeah, that's a good question. I would say that I've lived it and I had no support really. I didn't have an after school program. Um, yes, I went to therapy, but mm, unfortunately, the therapist that were trying to help me. A, I wasn't ready really. Um, and I had a therapist, uh, you know, basically ask me what I had done to, you know, bring on that sexual trauma and yep. And so you, and not all therapists are like that. Don't get me wrong. There are absolutely amazing therapists out there and I highly recommend it, but I've had my fair share of going to therapy and I just knew that there were more more ways out there to pull in that wraparound approach, learning how to be a good listener. I do know that I'm very empathetic and very much an empath as well. It's the joy. I just get so much joy and I want so bad to help people know that you don't have to stay stuck in that prison. There are ways out. And I wanted ACV to be able to provide those resources for people. You know, if it's connecting with a good therapist, if it's connecting with a support group at ACV, you know, just being with other survivors. And I feel very privileged and honored to be able to do this work and to be able to help other people feel that freedom. Like it's so liberating to have a courageous voice. Mm -hmm. It's holy work. It feels like it's holy work. So just to take a step back, because you started sharing a bit about ACV, a courageous voice. Mm-hmm. What is a courageous voice? Tell us more. What is it? When did you start? What services do you provide? Yeah. Uh, so a courageous voice started back in October. So we are really new, making really great progress every single day, um, actually. So we raise awareness uh, and we empower survivors and we build community. And I fully participate myself as a survivor, you know, so, because I'm still learning, I'm still on my journey. And honestly, I hope it never ends. Uh, the growth that I have received has been phenomenal. And I really hope that ACV can provide that for other people as well. Due to COVID, obviously we're 
you know, still doing a lot via zoom, but, um, as soon as things start to lift and, and we can get out a little bit more, uh, more community work, very, very important. Um, we have some great board members. Um, it's great. There's not a lot of places out there like ACV. So we want to try to have those hard conversations. You know, we are a platform for survivors, you know, for people that have questions about it, I'm sure almost, or most people know of someone that has had this experience. And a lot of CSA survivors don't want to, to really talk about it because of the fear that lies within that. And so ACV is also a great place for you to have a safe space. And that's our mission. It's just the matter of one person. All it takes is reaching out to one person, making a difference for one person. That's a world. One person is a world. So it's such important work. When did you realize that you wanted to start this organization? Uh, Last summer I had um, witnessed, um, for me, it was very traumatic, an event that happened. And within that, I saw uh, my own perpetrator in that, not literally, but like I, I could see him in that whole situation. And it sent me reeling. I had not been in that space for so many years. I left my hometown, um, in my early twenties and now I live in Michigan. And for me, I feel safer here, you know, even though I know I won't be hurt again. And and the past is a past. It's just, just something that I'm still working on, you know, that, that safety part of location, Um, but I had gone back home and, uh, witnessed something and it sent me reeling, like I said. And when I came back to Michigan, um, you know, it's like a light switch that goes off inside of you. And I just said, no more, no more. And came from the depths came from above. Maybe it was a mixture of both co-creation. I don't know. Uh, but it was time, it was time. And I said, you know, I am not going to be quiet anymore and I shouldn't have to. Most of us are, we live in so much fear, Stephanie, that, you know, like I was told I would be killed if I ever told anybody about it. And you live with this unbelievable amount of shame, you know, your whole life and you don't want to tear up the family or cause embarrassment or make any rifts or anything. And what happens is the families or friends or whoever, we actually end up protecting the predator. How does that happen? Mm. You know, why? And I don't know that that's being brought into awareness. uh, Like I would like for it to be not Mm -hmm. just because it's a personal experience, but because these are children, children, that are so innocent. They have no voice. We, the adults are supposed to be protecting them from things like that. And if we're not in touch with our kids, if we're not in touch, if we're not walking in awareness ourselves being in the present, we don't, we don't know what's going on. Do you know who your kids' friends are? Do you know who they're going to spend the night with? And it's not like we have to walk around in fear all the time, right? But just that awareness of knowing, you know, the CDC says that one in four girls, these are 2019 statistics, one in four girls and one in 13 boys are sexually abused every year. I can't imagine with COVID happening Mm -hmm. and the Mm shut-ins what it is now. For me, that's like, um, I'm not a mathematician by any means, but if you have a classroom of 30 kids. Yeah. That's several girls and probably one boy in those 30 kids, you know, and this kid could be sitting right next to your kid. It could be your kid. You just don't know. And how do we stop this? That's my bit. My vision is to take this global and to raise awareness. Uh, You know, this doesn't discriminate. It is in every country, every community even within our religious communities, it is happening. And these children are really left not being able to say a word 
And if you could possibly put yourself in a child's position of, you know, like I was, I just got to get through this. How do I get through this? I don't, you know, and a lot of dissociation happens, you know, you, you block it out, you put yourself in another position, you know, somewhere else, uh, another world, if you will, or whatever, so that you don't have to like actually live it. It's a safety mechanism that our brains, you know, do automatically. And so for children to have to, to live through this, you know, and sometimes I don't even like to, to talk about that, but how else are we able to help people have a better understanding? You know, most people don't want to talk about this. Why, what are you afraid of? What are you, what are you afraid to, you know, we need to talk about this. I don't, I don't know. I want to be able to bring awareness around this um, and help survivors empower them to help other survivors and to help bring awareness. That is so healing as a part of my healing. You were asking me earlier that has helped me the most is being able to be a voice for children mandated uh, reporting, you know, as a part of my job, you know, and, and talking with these kids and helping them be able to advocate for themselves. You know, who do you have to go talk to? You know, there have been several children that have come to me that have let me know that this was going on in their home broke my heart because I know how they feel. I know how they feel. That's what I want to do. I want to take ACV global eventually so we can uh, make this a worldwide, um, you know, mission. You're a force. And mm, I'm thank you. so confident you're making a huge difference and will continue to. Mm, thank you. I hope so. <laughs> you definitely will. You already are. You have been your whole life, as we discussed all of your service yeah. and working with others. I'm wondering what it was like for you, is like for you to <laughs> go from, to go from keeping something deep down and quiet that of course has been such a big part of your life that you didn't necessarily share, but was always affecting you to this being like the forefront of your life, not only vocalizing it and talking about it out loud, but you're breathing, sleeping, eating it. You're the founder of an organization that is doing this work. So I'm curious what that process was like for you. How, how'd you get here? Uh, (laughs) it's been quite the journey. Let me tell you, I think that, um, when I finally figured out that I mattered, when I figured out that my voice mattered, I got angry. I just didn't want anybody to go through that anymore. I didn't, I don't want people to suffer like that. Um, and that was it. I just said no more. However, I will say that the soul work that I've done on myself, um, which has been brutal at times, I'm not going to lie, but I had to dig deep. You know, I had to, it's not that I had to go back and, and re-traumatize myself. It was about discovering who Amy is and what are my gifts and talents? How can I use my trauma? Like I said earlier to, to really, um, go out and make a difference, you know, use it to help other people. That is just really, really healing for me as well. Um, but I had to figure out that I mattered and you will see a lot of that that's on, uh, in our, in our website, you know, your voice matters, you matter. And that validation, um, that's a part of our four pillars, your voice matters first, your environment. We talk about the different modalities of, of healing, is the third one and and being able to have healthy hobbies and, you know, from healthy cooking to, um, classes, empowerment classes and things like that, yoga, meditation. And then the last one is being able to let it go and letting go. Doesn't mean that you forget. It means that you're able to, to take the trauma and use it for good, right? It's being able to really love you who you are, how you're showing up every day, all of that. And from that, I created the ACV model, which is voice and V stands for validation. You know, CSA survivors, it's so, so important that we feel validated, uh, that we feel heard because our voice was taken from us for so, so long. Um, But I also want to let other survivors know that you have the ability 
to choose. You can choose to take it back, you know, pull it out, use that courageous voice. And um, I don't mean that you necessarily have to shout it out to the world. You don't have to tell everybody your story if you don't want to, but it's about you, you validating you as well. Like you matter when you realize that there's complete freedom there. Um, and then the uh, O stands for observation, which is learning about self-awareness. You know, what does that mean? And, and those are the things that um, we also, again, have the ability to change. If we've been taught certain things growing up, which we all have, I would say 95% of everything we say and do is learned, you know, uh, not much of that is, is primal, which is what we're born with. What are those things that are being of service to us still and what is not? And so that's the, the observation part. And then I, which is integrity, you know, how are we showing up every day? And it's really, again, about loving who you are and taking those behaviors, being able to go back and, and work with the, I teach a lot about thoughts, equal emotions, equal behaviors, equal your experiences. And that's an equation that is always the same. It always starts with, with the thoughts that we have and we can change those, you know, and people say, how, how do you change, you know, how you think, well, there's, there's great tools out there, you know, that, that we can utilize and use, you know, to help, help that, um, that formula so that those new behaviors you, you create new ones, you're able to like rewire your brain really, um, and create those new behaviors, which give you better experiences, you know, so that's where the integrity part comes up and, you know, how you're able to show up completely different and then compassion. Uh, that's a lot of self-love and learning how, you know, how to love you and, um, letting go of that shame, you know, those kinds of heavy, heavy emotions, um, and just really learning how to love yourself and learning how to trust and love others again. And then empathy, uh, is the, is the last letter when we're able to put ourselves in somebody else's shoes, when we're able to hear another person's story, uh, and that allows us to come outside of our own story somewhat because we get so consumed with it a lot. And then in our every, even though the story is not conscious in our minds, our behaviors are showing up every day as a victim, as a trauma victim, you know, and we want to take it from victim to survivor. So those, that, that model is really, um, in my opinion, crucial to, to ACV being able to, to step out there and help other people. It really feels like your life experiences created this model in every sense, mm -hmm. yeah. not just in every sense, you know, the work mm -hmm. you do and with the energy healing, it's like this holistic approach that kind of gets it at all the angles you're dealing with in addition to dealing with this difficult topic at hand every day, which is quite personal, yeah, emotional. You're also mm -hmm. running a nonprofit organization. You're a founder, you're a CEO, you're running business, you're running an organization. How do you emotionally recharge? Like, how do mm -hmm. you, I feel like it's so taxing just being any kind of founder and then yes. coupling it with the specific work you're doing. How, how do I do it? Yeah. Uh, it's a challenge sometimes because, um, you know, currently we're so new, so it's a complete volunteer position for me. You know, I still work a day job during the day, helping to run another company. So, uh, that's my day job, whatever time I have left available, um, actually goes, uh, to ACV, um, and a very healthy relationship that I'm in for the first time in my life. So I have to, I have to put, bring that up to just so much happened when I, when I finally spoke, um, and had that courageous voice. So he is a huge part, uh, of my recharge and a great listener and just a really great support system. Uh, my kids absolutely, you know, checking in, I had a conversation with my daughter yesterday and, you know, how can she help? And I said, you know, just one share a week or a month from our Facebook page or Instagram 
that would be great. You know, those little things really matter. That charges me, you know, that empowers me and makes me feel better. Um, I make sure that, um, seven to eight hours of sleep every night. I don't like to mess with my sleep. Uh, I do walk pretty much every day. So whatever pent up energy I have going on, you know, it's released through some type of exercise and my soul work every morning. When I get up, I dedicate at least an hour to me, uh, be it reading my prayer meditation, like whatever it might be. I dedicate that, uh, that had to be, I won't go without that. Yeah. And my daily check-ins that I do with myself. And ACV, um, we're working on our programming as well. And so these are some wonderful, wonderful things that we would like to bring to other survivors and, and helping empower them um, is keeping that tool belt full. And for every human being, different tools work for you would work for me that may not work for somebody else. So we want to make sure that they have exposure, you know, to, to as much as we can bring in through partnerships that we're trying to build right now with other organizations, partnerships with, it could be a psychologist, it could be a social worker, it could be, you know, a yoga teacher. I wanted it to be affordable to people. So, you know, if I'm feeding my soul and I'm able to walk the walk, um, that's, that fills my cup that, that just lifts me up so that I'm able to go out there and be of service at hundred percent, hopefully most days, not all days. You know, um, even though my children are grown now, I'm still a mom. So I want to be able to be there for them if they need me. So, um, and I still work with kids at DBG. So if they call that fills my spirit too, like they, they are just so beautiful and amazing. My kids are amazing. You know, I, I want to be able to pull out that, that book that I feel, um, can lift me back up and pull me back to center. I call it bringing, bringing it back to center a meditation. I meditate every day. Um, even if I only have 10 minutes and I just can do some breath work, that's another way to, to bring me back because I will stay in the future more than I will, you know, in the past, what can I do next? What can I do next? What can I do next? And that was also something that I had learned to stay busy so that I didn't have to deal with, um, so I have to really work on that every single day because it will deplete my energy. You know, by the end of the day, I'm like, wow, I really didn't stay focused today or, or whatever. So, and just being self-aware. You're leading by example and you're also learning and you're in the process yourself and, and with everyone in every sense of the word. Yes. In terms of educating our listeners right now, mm -hmm. people who are listening um, people who might be nervous to bring up a tough mm -hmm. conversation like this. If we suspect we know someone who may have experienced this, we want to show support, but we're not sure how, do you have any tips on how we could bring that up? Yeah. So if you're talking with a child, they have to be able to trust you. That's first, they have to be able to trust you. Even with an adult survivor, they need to feel, um, like they can trust you. And a lot of times it's just being a good listener. And I think as adults, we come at kids sometimes as why didn't you tell me this? Or, you know, who's hurting you and that kind of stuff. And so our, um, amped up energy causes them to retreat. And so we need to be calm, relaxed, no judgment, um, and just really create that safe space for them. Uh, working with kids and working with adults is, is, is different, right? Um, but if you have a, a CSA survivor that's never uttered a word and still living in that major fear space, it, you, you may want to just do the same for them and create that safe space. Nobody wants to feel like they're being attacked. And I don't mean like they feel bad or shameful or anything like that, but it's like, whoa, that's, you know, I don't even know how to process this. And you're coming at me. So when we come at people with a lot of questions, you know, um, it depends on where they are in their healing process. And that, that can just depend, you know, it depends on that, but working with a child, if you ever, if you ever feel that a child is going through something like that, seek out a professional and let them know 
um, they are very equipped uh, to be able to handle those kinds of situations. And I know people worry about, oh, the child will be removed from the home and be put into the foster care system. And yes, probably so. Um, hopefully they're able to go with a family member, but they can't stay in that environment. They cannot stay in that environment because for me, um, it took a piece of my soul and I have spent most of my life trying to find it or get it back, um, or put it back together. And if, if we aren't out there protecting these kids, who is Lauren's kids says that 42 million people in the United States alone have experienced childhood sexual abuse. 42 million, it has to stop. And it's going to take us adults being able to step forward, be courageous. If you're, I mean, you don't have to be a survivor in order to step forward and, and help a child. Our learning changes, like we're not able to comprehend and learn like somebody who has not been sexually abused as a child would. There's depression. There's um, a lot of addiction that can come from that. The healthcare costs are exorbitant for CSA survivors. Oh my God. There's a plethora of things, you know, that happen after something or while something like this is going on or years after, you know, it start, you see it in their behavior. When kids are acting out, there's a reason why. And if we're just sitting back and saying, oh, that kid, they need more discipline or whatever. And they, and they may need more discipline, but investigate. Um, people are like, well, it's none of my business. What's going on at home? Yeah, yes, it is. If there's some kind of abuse or neglect going on, you know, whatever it might be. So pay attention to, do you see bruises on their arms? Do you see, you know, are they withdrawn? Like there's all these different, and I really, you know, check this out, you know, go online and, and start Googling the different signs you know, for se childhood sexual abuse or abuse and neglect period with children, you know, start to, to read up on this kind of stuff and educate yourself because even though it may not be your child, it may be your child's best friend as adults. It's our, it's, it's our responsibility. In my opinion, it's our responsibility to, to try to protect all children, not just our own. How can people get involved with ACV, join the community, donate, follow you and your work? Yeah. Um, so we are on Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn, um, at a courageous voice for Facebook and Instagram, please, uh, go to our website. We just launched. It's really beautiful and it's still constantly evolving more pictures and community stuff is going to be going up soon. So it's a courageous voice.org and you can sign up, um, at info at a courageous voice.org. If you have questions, um, uh, Detroit based, nonprofit 501c3, you know, and donations, you actually can go on there as well and donate. Um, we greatly appreciate donations. We are a new nonprofit. Amazing. Amy, what advice would you give to someone who doesn't know what to do with their lives is trying to figure out, like, let me rephrase that because I didn't <laughs> fully say the sentence. Let me try that again. Amy. <laughs> Amy, no, yes, Amy, what advice would you give to someone who wants to figure it out? Doesn't know what to do with their lives based on your work, your experience. What would you say? Get to know who you are, like really start to ask those questions, be open to choice and possibilities, um, and start to look at things that we've been taught like I said, and say, you know, does this belief, you know, if you, if you were taught to be an accountant, right, this is, this is what you were taught and you, you need to go and, and be an accountant. Like this is what the family says. And this is, they want you to take over the family business or whatever, but you're not a numbers person. Like it doesn't work with you. You don't resonate with that. So that resonating is a big part of it. It's, it's what you connect with. Um, if you're not connecting with it, it's okay to challenge that. It's okay to, to be in question about it. And um, you know what you like. You know what you like doing and, and, and start to, you can start from there to see what your gifts and talents, where they lie. Um, I knew that, you know, when I used to line up my stuffed animals and teach you know, teach them their ABCs and things like that. I mean, I was five. That's a vivid memory for me that I was a teacher, that that was inside of me. 
but I also over the years found out that there's so much more to me than that. And so just really being open to that. And I'm not a rule follower. My personal belief is, is I am going to challenge. I am, I'm going to ask those hard questions, even to myself and find somebody that, you know, you can trust that will hold you accountable and, and challenge you and raise you up, lift you up, find, find that friend that can help you discover who you are. And then you do the same for them. Amy, this was amazing. I truly, truly appreciate you and your honesty and truths and sharing your story and your incredible journey and the important work you are doing that you have always been doing. And I can't wait to see what's next. Thank you so much. Um, the opportunity to bring awareness to CSA. I appreciate this platform. You have no idea. Hi everyone. This was really such a special episode. Very honored that Amy joined us and shared her story. Of course, a lot stuck out to me. The fact that Amy was able to take something so painful and turn it into this movement, a vehicle for change, a way to support and help others. It's truly unbelievable that she made this her life's work and so many people's lives are better because of what she's doing. I thought it was really profound that being a life coach and helping others work through their trauma was a major source of healing for Amy. I feel like for all of us, there's some kind of power, something energizing and healing that is released by helping others. And of course, we should all make a point of doing that in our day to day. I love that Amy encourages us to ask ourselves the tough questions and not just accept things because we think that's how they're supposed to be. Amy says in order to figure it out, we need to get to know who we are and be open to choice and possibilities. For more information on ACV or to donate, please go to acourageousvoice.org. If you or someone you know has been sexually abused, you can find a resources page at acourageousvoice.org resources. We invite you to follow A Courageous Voice on Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn. That's all for today. Thanks.